Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Hello, everybody. And when he says with me, he actually means it this time because we are physically in the same room in the same city uh, for the very first time doing the podcast. Which is a new, which is new territory for both of us. Very new. We are in room 426 of the El Dorado Hotel in Kelowna, British Columbia. That is right. And what are we doing here in British Columbia? Well, we've been here for oof, three days now, two days. Two days. And uh, we've been driving the Subaru WRX and the WRX STI, the 2018 models that have just come out or are on the verge of going on sale. Now, um, before we get carried away, we should point out that both of these cars are refreshed models. There aren't, they aren't brand new vehicles running on the new platform that you're witnessing on the new Impreza. But there are some interesting things to point out with these vehicles, and we had a lot of time on the back roads of British Columbia in and on the track. Uh, and we had quite a bit of fun, I, I would say. We, we, a lot of time is right. Uh, we must have driven 250 miles today. Yeah. And the same yesterday. It was just crazy mountain back roads, a lot of them running alongside rivers. And it's basically like someone just dropped the uh, <laughs> dropped off a big pile of asphalt and said, pave alongside that river. And they just squiggly lines the whole way. And it's filled with deer and other wildlife. I saw a bear, which mm-hmm. uh, marks the second time in two weeks I've seen a bear on a press event. I saw one last week in uh, Colorado on the ZR2 event. So I'm two for two on bears. Next week, I'm going to Austria. We'll see what Austria has to bring to the earth sign table. <laughs> but uh, Sammy um, he, Sammy had the disconcerting ability to see deer that I hadn't seen today <laughs> yeah. while I was driving. And I, was, so I was very much in tune with the uh, with the deer wildlife on the side of the road today. And he, he, he just held his hand out the window, <laughs> and a woodpecker landed on his hand. And just stared into his eyes, and then stabbed him in the palm of his hand with his with the, with the the crazy sharp bill that he had, and then flew off. And I think the lesson there is don't trust nature. I had it coming, to be honest. But uh, why don't we stop talking about my 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 in touch with nature, your Doctor Doolittle character, yes, my Doctor Doolittle situation, and talk about these cars. So for 2018, Subaru has made a number of mild adjustments to the car, uh, to both cars, the WRX and the STI. Where, sh- where should we start? We should start with the WRX, the the more affordable model. Sure. Twenty nine nine ninety five in Canada and uh, a little bit cheaper in the United States. That's right, or just around twenty seven thousand dollars in the United States. Um, now this car hasn't changed the power output; still makes a two hundred sixty seven horsepower out of a two liter turbocharged engine. That's closely related to what you'll find in the Subaru BRZ. It's very much like the Forester XT engine, but this one, of course, you can get with a manual transmission as well. And uh, that's one of the adjustments that the automaker has made. The manual transmission is a tiny bit um, revised this time around. Um, triple cone synchros. Triple cone synchros, which is something that was uh, first seen, I think, on the Scion FRS and Subaru BRZ, at least for this automaker. Um, and they're supposed, to, they're supposed to be a little bit more uh, durable and rugged. Um, and... I don't know, I think those first few gear changes are a little bit uh, notchy and stiff, but as a whole, the, the transmission does feel a little bit smoother than what I remember in the in the WRX, which is a very clunky gear change experience, and now we're, we're getting something a little bit smoother, a little bit more refined. I'm going to be honest, I didn't really notice a big difference, um, specifically. I never really had a problem with the previous uh, WRX gearbox before they made these changes, so maybe the changes are, it's something that if you used it every day, you mm-hmm. might notice it on a regular basis. 
And I think that would be the case with all of these changes. They they really do refine the car out, uh, round it out a little bit better. And actually, we heard that Subaru did listen to a lot of their dealerships and to their owners in addressing some of the concerns that they had. For example, the roof rack placement, mounting holes, are now off the windowsill and more on the roof of the vehicle to address people saying that they didn't like where the roof mount. Uh, roof rack was mounted before and plus uh now there's a armrest in the back seat but i think the more interesting thing for most people will be the fact that the rs package in canada or the performance package in the united states is the same thing um but what it amounts to for people who are buying the standard wrx is um, performance oriented brake pads i say performance oriented but more aggressive brake pad compound um what else comes with it sammy the recaro seats and um I think that's it. So it's, uh, you get, um, it's for someone who wants to go to the track or wants to more, probably more realistically go to autocross and doesn't want to necessarily look to the aftermarket for brakes. Uh, it's not that much more expensive. The only caveat is, and uh, in the United States, I believe it's available on the, the limited trim. Is there a limited? What's, what's the top tier? for uh, for WRX premium and limited I believe is what they have so you you can only get it on the higher trim model and in Canada you can only get it on the highest trim model Mm -hmm. so yeah it's only a small amount of money to spend but you've already spent a considerable amount to get there so it's something you have to really want but it's nice to see Subaru doing something like this adding this kind of extra edge to a car that's already a lot of fun to drive and um, we had a chance to drive that car it was the first vehicle we drove that day yesterday and we spent most of the day in it and it was perfectly pleasant to drive i did not notice a difference in the brakes but on the street i didn't expect to probably going to see reduced fade on a track environment and maybe a little bit more initial bite uh once they're warmed up they did warn us that um we should anticipate more brake noise with these new brake pads although i don't think that was something that was uh particularly noticeable by either of us i think a reason for that is because they've Improve the sound deadening in the vehicle. I think the other reason might be because the stereo system in every WRX we drove today had insane levels of bass. No yeah. matter what music you're listening to, it they, so even the base model WRX which we drove has this thing called virtual bass virtualizer or something, yeah. and it's an option that just murders your ears with bass. It got to the point where every time we got into the car, we had to go to the EQ and turn the bass way down because other it's not like, you know, cans in a bag shaking in your trunk bass. It's just like super like Independence Day destroying Washington, D.C. Yeah. levels of bass. Yeah. And we were getting like headache. I was like, this is intense. Like, this is way too much. I can't have a conversation with you in this car. It's so at the, at the standard level, we have to turn this down. So, no, I did not hear the squealie brakes. <laughs> Because I could barely hear my own heartbeat. <laughs> but it was really funny because we got so used to we got so used to the the sound of the bass and the sound system that when we were driving a group of other WRXs, you would look at me and be like, "Is that the sound of the other car's bass?" And we were like, "No, that's the exhaust of our car." It was car. the off it was the off turbo <laughs> exhaust bump. What uh, another interesting topic though? So you know, I I like these cars. I've I've always been a WRX fan. I think it's a good value. And even in the face of a very competitive, suddenly compact turbo world, I still think the WRX is a great daily choice that won't hurt your wallet. I will say this, though. You cannot hear it. Um, it I'm not advocating fake Ford-style sound like you get in the ST and the RS, in the, the Focus. What I would like is a louder exhaust. You can hear, you can hear the STI when you're outside of the car. 
walking around it has the nice you know putter the 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 boxer sound that Subaru is famous for but the new car doesn't have the same header design uh and as a result it's very very quiet when I say new car I mean the WRX with the two liter engine as opposed to the 2.5 and the STI even in the STI at full throttle you barely hear the exhaust of course you can put a fart can on it and get instant exhaust sound if you want to but why not make a a bit of a louder exhaust and a, a part of that RS package because I think that's something that people would like I think you might be onto something there, but I also think that Subaru is trying to lean in a different direction. Here we are, we are being offered a car that has, um, we can even get a no-cost option to reduce the spoiler, that, that spoiler on the SDI to a smaller one. Yeah, you don't have to swap trunks at the dealership anymore. And so they obviously understand that people want something that's a less um, abrasive looking on the street. But why not have both? Sales. There should be an should there be an option? I mean, do many automakers offer a dual exhaust uh, or an optional yes. exhaust? Yes, I mean, look many at, automakers do. I think I think Chevrolet does it with the Camaros. Chevrolet does it with not just with the Camaros, the Corvette also has the dual stage. Okay. Um, if you look at Porsche, it's available on almost all of their models. What I'm saying is, I don't expect an implementation like Porsche where you push a button and it gets louder. BMW also does right. the same thing. I'm just saying I want to be able to get a louder system from the start if I want it because I, you've heard. Every, how many STIs have you heard that are whisper quiet going by? Yeah. Most of them have gone to the aftermarket to get this kind of right. treatment. They want they want to you know, wake up their neighbors when they come home at night. And I, I'm not necessarily advocating that, but I am saying I want to hear exhaust sound because for me, um, exhaust sound is an integral part of the experience of the car, but it also helps you when you're on a track or when you're driving quickly because you don't have to look at the tachometer. Yeah, all of our listeners will probably uh, remember the last time we were talking about the Raptor where you said one of the major detriments to that car is that it lost its sound signature. Now, I actually I disagree with you a little bit. I still think that this car has the sound signature, and we're talking about the WRX here, not the STI. Um, you just don't hear it as much in the car. People outside the car will still hear that boxer, that that turbo growl that it has. It's true, but I'm driving for me, not necessarily for them, or maybe I'm driving for both. I I, I don't think I don't think it's lost its character either. Who are you driving for? I'm are driving you like for the Uber. You're like the Uber of. I'm of, like the Uber of emotional automotive experiences. That's right. But uh, I'm not saying I don't think it's lost its character either. I'm just saying I would like it to have a little more character. That's all. I it, it, you know I I almost bought a WRX recently. I I had a. 2002 World Rally Blue Wagon that I loved, and um, it, 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 it and I parted ways under sad circumstances. And I, I tried to buy another one this winter, and the guy I was buying it from was a stock car, except the exhaust had holes in it. And it was just uh, after the, the cat, and it sounded amazing. It sounded really, really good. Um, and oh, I just want a little bit of that in, in the new car. I so just it. punch some holes? Just, yeah, just, just speed holes. They go yeah. make the car go faster. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about how these cars perform, at least the WRX. Did you have any problems with the way this thing performed on the street? It, it has new suspension. It has a different, um, I think it has a slightly different steering feel. Uh, and we were talking about the transmission before. This car feels, I think this car is great for the street. It is well set up for the street and in a daily driver sort of style. So I, I too have this feeling, but what happened was... I've obviously I've driven this car before. It's not a new design. I've driven the STI before, but I've never had the chance to spend so much time in both cars back to back, which is what we did. Mm-hmm. Really, hundreds of miles, one day apart, and actually on the same day driving home yep. from the track. What I really noticed with the STI versus the WRX now is the steering and how it's so nice to get behind the wheel of a hydraulically assisted car in the STI. 
and not deal with an electric power steering. And, you know, during the presentation we had with Subaru, they said, you know, we have a pretty decent electric power steering system. And that's a very honest thing to say because electric power steering, you never know what you're going to get. Every car company does it differently. Every car company has its own targets for how they want the car to feel. And um, I have no problem with how the WRX steals I'm sorry. How, the, how it steers. It does steal. It's, it's still it's a heart. It's, a it's, it's still more than one heart. <laughs> but I, I can tell you that the STI is so much more, there's so much more communication in the steering from the road. In fact, at times there was a little too much communication. And I think that's a complaint that some people have had about the car. Uh, you, you feel stuff that might indicate a problem when there's no problem. <laughs> like today when I tried to go through some snow to get a photo opportunity and I almost got the car stuck and then a whole bunch of snow got it caught up inside the wheels and inside the suspension and then snow was flying out of the car while we were driving down the dry street. And <laughs> then... Thought, like, where do we come from? Where are these guys coming and from? And above... snow everywhere. At about 90 miles an hour, there was a vibration in the right front of the car and that was because... There was snow in it, but you know it was really pronounced because of the the way the steering rack is set up. You notice that that's there right away. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe if I'm in the electric the EPS car and I don't notice the vibration and the wheel flies off, then that's, that that could be seen as negative. <laughs> so I um, I will agree with you. After driving the cars back to back, the biggest difference besides the besides the difference in power um, is that um, that steering feel on the track that that feedback that you get from the hydraulic steering in the STI is is so important okay you can feel the grip in those tires right through your fingertips that's amazing that's exactly what you want on the track on the road I found the WRX steering to be very very good for what I needed it to do it was very smooth it was very comfortable and it inspired confidence um, in, a, in a very natural way in my opinion in this point now We've complained about electric power steering before. Uh, I think I said one of the main reasons I don't like the modern um, M-series vehicles from BMW is the steering's just not there for me. It's horrible. And uh, I think we also said that the new Mazda MX-5 or Miata, the biggest problem between it and the, and the old car was the steering. And what's so weird is if you drive a 340... The steering's really not that bad. Yeah. They really fixed it for this current generation of standard 3 Series versus the previous versus generation. And which, the M vehicles. Yeah. And it's it's sad that it's not on the, the faster faster vehicles. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm very much okay with what the Subaru WRX offers. Absolutely, the STI has that much more feedback. It's just so much. It, it is very appreciated. Uh, maybe it's, it's been such a long time since I've had a car with this much feedback in the steering that I'm just I'm getting overwhelmed by just how I have to describe it in comparison to the electric power steering but it was it's different and uh, if you need it for the track that's where it's for well the thing too is the it only feeds into the fact that the STI is a much more focused vehicle just designed to do one thing specifically and the WRX is kind of a an all-arounder that uh, is a good commuter and a fun car when the road gets twisty and if you want to do autocross or an HPD you can do that as well Whereas the in the SCI, um, it was designed to lap a circuit. It's it's a stiffer car. The power band is different. The gearing is different. The center differential, the ability to transfer torque to the front and rear axles, all of those things, it just kind of they're all clues to when someone was you know putting pen to paper or digital stylus to tablet <laughs> to create this vehicle as to it, it tells you what they wanted to do with it. The the WRX though has also become much more of a, it's re, it's reaching a broader audience, it's 
easier to live with, it's more comfortable, it's filled with features, you can get it with a CVT, um, and that CVT isn't bad, at least I drove it on the autocross and it wasn't a complete joke of a, of a transmission. And it's 10% of sales. Yeah, so there's that aspect of the vehicle that's coming a long way. But let's talk about the STI now, because we had a lot of time in the STI on a brand new racetrack with some of the smoothest roads that I've ever experienced on a racetrack. Uh, we went to Area 27, which is in all over British Columbia, um, with a brand new, it's a brand new track with lots of elevation change, really fun corners, um, and we spent at least two hours at this track, th two or two and a half hours at this track, and we ran these cars like with lim limited downtime, and they and they managed to hold up through those sessions, which it's I true. thought was kind of impressive. We weren't really hustling the cars that hard. I had one of the cars where the brakes got, got soft on me because I was not driving very well, and uh, I had to use them more than I probably should have. But, um, you know, for for a reasonably weighted all-wheel drive track car, you're not going to have any complaints with the STI. Uh, this track was interesting because there's, like, no visual landmarks. It's it's brand new, first of all, as Sammy mentioned. But not only is it brand new, they kind of, they, they just found a field, basically. And they created some elevation changes themselves artificially. There's a few trees. But other than that, you know, you get to a couple of these blind corners and you do not know what's on the other side. And it's very hard to remember what's on the other side because there's nothing to attach that memory to. So it, our instructors uh, had never been there either. And that they had useful advice. But at the same time, it's difficult to put the track together. It's the kind of facility that will be very rewarding once you have it memorized and you can pull off mm -hmm. the, if you, you know where you need to be at the exit of one corner for the entrance of the next. That's really the key to any track. and But especially a track like this one, which is fairly long and has numerous connected corners. There's, there's a couple of big straights, but really um, you're turning most of the time you're out there. So I was really impressed with this vehicle on this track because it's a it's a fairly I would say it's fairly powerful for what it is. 305 horsepower might not sound like a lot, but it's delivered to all four wheels in a very convincing manner. It feels old school, a very mechanical manner, <laughs> which is nice. It's not like a. I was talking with an engineer, uh, and uh, we were saying how you know the Ford Focus RS you can overheat the rear end because it's not it's not a I don't believe it's a mechanical coupling like well it's a mechanical coupling obviously but it's computer controlled. <laughs> And it can decouple that rear end if it has to, if it detects that the heat is going to potentially damage the differential. That's not going to happen in an STI. What's going to happen is you'll damage the differential, but you won't because the way the car is designed, the way the, the you have a computer-controlled center differential, but it's never going to cut out the rear or cut out the front of the car. It's not, it's not capable of that type of action. It's a much more direct setup. They actually changed the, the, that center differential in the STI to make it a little bit more predictable and to have it as one piece together rather than a multi-piece setup that was in, in it before. So that apparently improves the, throttle, the, sorry, the response and the way it delivers power to the front and the rear. Um, one of the other changes that we saw in the STI, it now has bigger brakes up front and those brakes are cooled um, through these vents that, where we'd normally see fog lights in a, in a car. And they're yellow now. Are you cool with that? They're kind of green. Are they green? Is we it yellow? Is it green? Is it's it, like a highlighter. It's like a highlighter. So you're gonna see them. You're gonna notice them. And um, and uh, it's like it's like when your cousin came back from that summer camp, and their hair was like a totally different color, and no one would talk about it. Like around the table, they were just like, "Oh, so glad. How was your summer?" And and it's obvious how their summer was, but <laughs> you ask it anyway. So it's kind of like that, but with brakes. So these brakes. Um, 
were really good. They were really strong. I think they're an improvement from what they used to have. And apparently the f previous vehicle had a lot of concerns about brake fade. And that's something that other um, SDI, owner, SDI owners have asked me about. Uh, they want to know if the brake fade has improved, if the braking feel has improved, if these six piston brakes are an improvement over the old ones. I'm, I'm going to have to... Here's the thing. Brake fade isn't related to how many pistons you have, um, mm -hmm. I don't think. But that, the cooling, those a, cooling ducts, though. Sure, the cooling ducts. But I mean, that's that's a their pistons are braking force, and 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 bite and whatnot. Um, whenever I hear people complain about brake fade on a stock car on a track, my first response is buy better brake pads. They're super cheap. You can get great track pads for nothing. You can get great street and track pads for very little. It's an affordable thing to do. You should not be tracking your car on stock pads to begin with. Um, this has been a PSA from Benjamin Hunting no, here at Unnamed Automotive Podcast. There are cars that have great stock pads, for sure. My Cadillac has for the GM pads, the part number. It's excellent. But I went with something that, that had more initial bite because that's what I wanted in the car. And they also resist fade better. But any aftermarket pad is going to give you what you're looking for. So don't get mad at the automakers who have to warranty that part first of all mm -hmm. which means that it has to last a certain amount of time they don't want it to sound like a school bus when you stop at a, a stop sign at 10 miles an hour um just just go do yourself a favor and get better pads okay and get better fluid while you're at it too because you don't want to be running a stock oem brake fluid on the track that's gonna really mess up your brake feel did the weight of the car bother you in any way yeah, of course. I'm not into heavy cars on the track. The WRX isn't heavy, but it's heavy by comparison to what I normally drive. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not like you never like, oh, this is a very ponderous car. I wish I was. I, it doesn't feel like a tank or anything. No, but you do notice the weight of the vehicle when you're trying when you want to do certain things. But at the same time, that all-wheel drive system is so good at pulling you out of and allowing you to make corrections in a way that that. It works out for you. Well, yeah, wait, and it's it's kind of like a it's kind of like a do over device. Like, let's say you're in mm -hmm. a corner and things aren't going well. If you you just throttle lift and tuck in and then reapply, you're not going to unsettle the car. It's not like a rear wheel drive car with heavy horsepower where if you do that kind of thing, you run the risk of lightening the rear end to the point where when you go back on the throttle, you're going to be in trouble. Mm -hmm. That's never going to happen in the SDI. And in fact, <laughs> while learning the track today, which is kind of what you what we were doing for the first little while, there were a, a couple corners, dual apex corners, where I was lifting more than once to try and nestle the car in to see how it would respond. And even with the differential, the computer control differential set to negative, full negative into the rear, it was completely controllable. There was, I think you were saying there was not one instance today where the stability control kicked on for you. Yeah, I was super impressed by that because, again, we were we were really pushing these cars. We we're on throttle, off throttle, hard on the brakes, uh, trying to just and and yeah, there was there there were moments where I thought I was getting a lot of I was going to get a lot of like plow like understeer, but then the car can just root this power and just turn it in such a in such a so helpful way. And I mean, I felt. Now, I don't know if this is the best way to describe it. I don't know if this is a car that's really good. Well, for... your finger painting is quite descriptive. Yeah, see, now the you're with me. can't see that. Now you're with me, and you can see the 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 picture I'm painting, in the, in, like I'm miming right now. But um, the, the really interesting thing that I wanted to say is, is this kind of the car that you want for a beginner, somebody who's not sure about how they should proceed on the track? Because it can save them from so many troubling circumstances. Or do you want a car that's very lightweight, that's very basic, that can that doesn't have a lot of power, that's going to teach somebody to be um, to get the fundamentals right and not rely on the vehicle to save them? Here's my amateur opinion: you should be driving the least powerful car that's the lightest you can get, 
uh, and it has rear wheel drive if you want to learn to be a better driver. If you want to have re really great lap times, maybe you go out in the STI. But if you really want to learn the fundamentals and the physics behind driving, you're not going to learn that. You're going to have a harder time learning that in an all-wheel drive turbocharged car. That's that's my take on that. I'm, this is not a dangerous car for a beginner to take in no. unmodified form. Uh, if you boost up the turbo to the point where you're putting 600 horsepower down, yeah, it's a dangerous car, and I wouldn't. I've seen some bad things happen on the track to someone who is a beginner, uh, but. It, you know, this is a car where you can have fun on the weekend and then the old cliche is drive it to work on Monday and everything's fine. And I think that's really cool. And uh, a lot of people go to the track just to have fun and they're not necessarily there to become better drivers. They're just there to do their thing and have a good time. And yeah, you'll become a better driver by osmosis if you do it long enough. The only problem is a higher horsepower car that has all-wheel drive will paper over your mistakes mm -hmm. and make it harder for you to learn from them. The mistakes will still be there. You just might not notice them and it'll make it more difficult for you to identify where you need to improve okay so that's that's a really that's a really well-rounded way to putting it but i think people are going to want to buy this car so that they can hit the track have a great time without freaking out about or get or scaring themselves um in a corner by by getting some understeer or oversteer in a very you know in, in an uncontrollable way that well, you they still just get do. understeer in an all-wheel drive car like this if you, you do the wrong thing and the other thing you they, have to screw it up pretty badly well the, the the other real challenge with a car like this especially on a track like where we were today is knowing what gear to be in to mm -hmm. keep the car on boost and keep it from bogging is real <laughs> it's a it's a it's a rubik's cube for your brain to to try and work that shifter and, and get that thing to to be in at the proper rpm um, obviously today we're not professional drivers we're semi-pro at best and you know on the track you've never been on in a car that you maybe haven't driven in a while you need to spend a day or two to really figure out what gear you need to be in at what part of the track so you know that's that's nothing that's nothing against the car it's any turbo car is going to have that even a naturally aspirated car but at least with a naturally aspirated car you have a more linear power delivery Absolutely. No, I agree with you on that. The tr the the gear changes thing was another thing that I was going to bring up. There was a, it's also very maybe I'm not used to a track this big um and this high speed. Fourth and fifth, I mean fourth and and third mostly throughout the whole track. Very limited use of second and it was very interesting to to run that way to, to and this car the STI is geared with some pretty high speeds and to to be achieved at full throttle on the I mean High, sorry, at red line in the in third gear. It was about a hundred miles an hour in fourth gear. I think was the highest speed I saw today. That's pretty impressive. It's uh yeah, it's you know it's interesting though. It's it, it's all about you don't even have to have a very long. The straightaway here is a half mile. Mm -hmm. Um, but what's interesting is at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, which is a track I run a lot, we use the front straight of the NASCAR oval, mm -hmm. which is maybe a quarter mile, uh, maybe a little bit longer than that actually, because the whole track is a mile in the oval. And it, it, depending on how you come out of the chicane in 12, I can be doing, you know, 100 miles an hour in my father's Mustang at the end of that at the end of that straight, even though it's not nearly as long as what is happening in area 27. Because if you look at area 27, you have a 90 degree left hand right. to get onto that front straight. So a lot of that, a lot, all, all the speed at the end of that straight is directly linked to your, your entry your into entry that, that, first, that yes, straight, absolutely. the exit from the corner. Yep. And that's a great, you know, they did that on purpose. This track was actually designed by Jacques Villeneuve, which I, I'm, no comment. Um, he's an interesting guy and he's had an interesting life, but I never really predicted he would be one of the F1 drivers to put his signature on a track, but he did. And it's actually was built by a whole bunch of racers. And uh, like you were saying, they you were interested in how they designed it. 
Yes, they designed it. Uh, so they got the the plot of land, and they kind of got to um, getting some data entries of where the elevation is, how big, how much space they have. They said they had something like twenty five thousand data points, I think. Yeah, and then they crafted this 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 uncharted territory in into a three D in a 3D track and they put it in a simulator yeah they and made they, a computer model of the track basically yeah so they didn't actually have a real track at all they made it all virtual they drove it they adjusted it a, b- a bunch of times I believe 12 times yeah, a dozen times um, to make it as perfect as they wanted and they made that track which I think is really cool it is interesting you know because if you think about how old racetracks were, were designed it just, was either someone had a plot of land and they just paved a bunch of stuff they thought was cool, or they used to. If you look at something like I, I think it's um, Road America, the track that exists now, part of that track was used as the they used to race on the public roads in that part of I believe it's Wisconsin. Is that where, where Road America is? The state I, I always mix it up with the with Minnesota because I'm an idiot. And <laughs> um, part of the track that exists there now was integrated into the circuit that included all the local roads they used to race on and the rest of it was kind of paved around that so like again it's integrating a track that was a, a, a track that was either already there or part of a, a road system that was already there um and this one is just completely virtual completely i'm sure this is how all modern tracks are designed obviously yeah but there aren't a lot of you know i i question that because i've been on some tracks where it was clear that the the topography of the area played a huge yeah. role, like they carved it out of the mountain, right. they they used the natural elevation. But Area Twenty Seven, they had to make that elevation. It wasn't necessarily there. That's it's very like interesting. That's a really interesting decision that they made. Like Circuit of the Americas, mm-hmm. with that huge hill. That's an artificial hill at the end of that straight in the front. I mean, it's it's Texas. It's not it's not hilly like that yeah. in that area. So I mean, they call it hill country, but it's not doesn't mean the same thing. It's not such a dramatic drop off that you'll see there. So again, that's you know that was a completely artificial construct. But it, anyway, it's it's an interesting idea, um, and I think it's like I said earlier, it's a rewarding track to drive quickly. But there's one there's one other thing I want to talk about while we're on the subject of the the natural area we're in. Um, so Kelowna is beside a huge lake, and the lake is I don't know 160 miles, 150 miles in long. It's it's huge. It's 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 incredibly large. Uh, it's not super wide. Like you'll always be able to see the other side from wherever you are. It's not like a great lake. It's not an inland sea, but it's it's extremely stretched out, and it's a mysterious lake, a lake that's home to a uh, not a monster as our uh, friend and Brandon told us earlier, but a serpent mm-hmm. named Ogopogo. You want to talk about Ogopogo, Sammy? I don't know much about Ogopogo, but I will say that only his actions can define him as a monster, and or her or they or it. Yes. Uh, however it defines itself. But I don't think it defines itself as a monster. I think the people around here or the people who don't understand it will call it a monster. And really, the only time something is a monster is when it doesn't take the time to reach out and make a connection with someone else that might think it's a monster too. And then they both discover together that there are no monsters. There's just creatures. That's true. That's very true. Very beautiful, Ben. Uh, and I hope I hope Ogopogo found, finds it uh, as beautiful as the moonlight shimmering off Ogopogo's iridescent scales. Yes, absolutely. And we're lakeside right now, uh, which means if Ogopogo chose, it could end us <laughs> quite easily. I don't think the bars in this window would pose much of a of a of a threat or a uh, a menace to this magnificent creature. Um, before I go, I want to make sure that this. The, the flow of that track is explained very well. It moved very quick, very nicely. It, it goes... Like a serpent cutting through the northern waters of a massive, massive, deep, uncharted lake. 
Yeah, that's exactly how I would describe it. And in fact, that's how I wrote it down in my notes. I'm very impressed that we had the same notes on that. Um, ben, any more things you want to you want to uh, you want to talk about this STI? I mean, you've had the chance to drive the Focus RS recently. Have you had a Golf R? Some of these are are yeah. very similar vehicles to the STI. They're, now, well, they're similar on the track, but they drive similar. They're similar in in philosophy, not necessarily execution. I think you know, like we were talking earlier. The STI is a very mechanical vehicle. The RS is not. And the Golf is somewhere in between. The Golf is kind of... The Golf is in the same sense as the Ford and electronically controlled all-wheel drive system where there's a computer calling a lot of the shots. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, to an extent in the STI as well, but to a mega extent in the, in the, in the uh, Golf R. But the Golf R is not nearly as focused as either of those cars. I think the Golf R is closer to the WRX in terms of how it drives every day. It's a smoother car. It's more comfortable. It doesn't try to be hardcore. Uh, and it's fun. I mean, can you think of another time where people have had the choice between three turbocharged compact cars that are essentially quite different in character, mm-hmm. uh, similarly priced, and similar power levels too, that are just going to give you a different driving experience? That's amazing. I mean, come on. I mean, 15 years ago, we'd be talking about the SRT4 Neon, and that would probably be it. Yeah, I mean, I think that this 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 crop of vehicles covers the landscape of of what enthusiasts will like. Um, and then we have the the wild card, which is the Civic Type R that's coming up. Yep, where you get all of that horsepower in the front wheels, which no other automaker has dared to do yet. So that's going to be something new. Uh, the only other car company that's been crazy is that the word to use crazy enough to do that was Mazda with the Mazda Speed Three, and we know that they had to uh, reduce torque in the first two, <laughs> first three. I can't remember how many two gears to just to make the car manageable to drive. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see how Honda handles that. It's going to be interesting to see if anyone's actually interested in a car that that's that's that powerful up front, um, and that or is sorry that powerful up front and that light. It's not a typical mix. It's not something you normally see, and uh, certainly not something we've ever seen from Honda. So the when we're taking taking a look at those three cars, I find the the Golf R to to be the most refined one, the one that you can live with the most. I find the Subaru STI to be the most enthusiast ready car. It's old school in this in the way that it delivers the power, in the way that it routes the power around, the way that it just gets out of the way and lets you do whatever you want to do. And the 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 Focus RS is this car that wants to make you look like a like a like a badass. The Focus RS is the closest PlayStation oriented mm-hmm. member of the uh, of the group. And I think that's a great way of summing them up right now. And, uh, you know, it's it's fun that we were talking with, again, with the Subaru people today, obviously, because we've been surrounded by them. <laughs> and um, they were talking about, Sammy asked if there was a drift mode in the uh, in the STI, like as a joke. And, you know, they're like, well, no, the drift mode's under your right foot, basically. And we had the uh, WRX, the regular WRX, out on a... So the area we're in, Ogopogo related, possibly, but there's a lot of flooding. And um, there were roads washed out, and we had to take detours. And one of those detours, we were on a dirt road for probably 40 miles. Yeah. It was quite long. And it was great because the car, you know, you get to play pretend rally stage and like pirouette the car around, and you turn off all the nannies, of which there are only a few. Uh, again, very different from the Focus. And it, there's no drive modes in the WRX. No, it's just it's just you you put it in gear and you go yeah. and you can. There's a traction control for the track or some special mode that turns it, backs it off a little and yeah. then you can back it off completely. And the car does what you want it to do. 
it's not you don't have to uh, you know know the secret handshake or the Konami code mm-hmm. to, to make it fun that's what I mean it's very old school in that way there are no extra drive modes there's no sport mode there's no track mode there's no dirt mode there's no there's no weird niche time to use this one mode uh, button even that sport differential in the in the in the STI model is Really basic. It, it yeah. really, it's well, really you have easy sports, sports sharp, regular, yeah. auto, in manual. In that car. Only in that car. Yeah, but that's the car where you're good, you know, if you're going to be using that kind of stuff, you're probably not going to be using it on the street. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were, but it's our job. So. <laughs> we, well, somebody's <laughs> going to ask us whether or not those features are worth buying yeah. a car over, and I yeah. think we, we tried them out. Um, a great, great time in British Columbia, and uh, I'm now going to have memories of these really good roads, and of course... Um, the time driving with you, Ben. Um, the people here are really blessed to, to have such cool roads to, to drive on. I wonder if they get bored of that. And not only that, but the scenery, the mountains, the water, and, uh, and the intermittent rain. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure if you ever get bored of the roads around here, from time to time you make enough of a mistake thinking you know the road well enough that it terrifies you into no longer being so <laughs> complacent. So, and There's one more thing I want to talk about before we wrap things up. Uh, I couldn't talk about it last week because I was under embargo, which means I can't talk about it, but I can now, and that's the Chevrolet Colorado ZR2, which I got to drive last week, and it's completing the very long line of off-road trucks and trucks in general that I've been driving lately. Um, I, will, I just want to wrap it up very quickly. I like the ZR2 a lot. I liked it more than the Raptor. It's a very manageable size. It's something you could live with every day. The uh, DSSV shock system is not only more comfortable. I, I drove it back to back on the same stretch, 65 miles of road in Colorado, with the Z71 version of the Colorado That's truck. The Colorado or the Silverado? Colorado. Really? Yeah. Okay, my mistake. And um, so you have the Z71 Colorado, which was the previous off-road model, which is kind of equivalent to like, kind of like a TRD off-road model Tundra, or sorry, Tacoma. So it's it's got stiffer springs. It's got the the little bit of a of a aggressive suspension, etc. Anyway, the ZR2 so much more compliant, much less body roll. Doesn't crash as much over the over the bumps because it's not as stiff. It doesn't have to be, and um, I was very impressed by that. But something else that impressed me was um, a couple of months ago, I may or may not have been off roading in a Tacoma TRD, and I may or may not have jumped it. And when that <laughs> happened. It may or may not have been pretty dramatic when I landed. <laughs> in the ZR2, I definitely jumped it because they had set up a Baja course for us, very little short little Baja style thing, and they let us cruise around two-wheel drive with the rear differentials locked, which you can do at a touch of a button, and you can lock the front if you want to. Um, but in two-wheel drive, it's a blast, and they had a table jump set up, small table jump, and hit that at 50 miles an hour and land the truck, and you don't notice. You don't notice at all. It's like you're cruising in a parking lot. It's that. It's It's hard to stress how smooth the truck is when it really should not be smooth in those situations. That, that is a crazy thing to do. Most people will never jump their trucks. And um, that was extremely impressive. So ZR2, really cool. You can jump it if you want. It's fun. It's not It's not a, a life-threatening experience. You probably won't even get any adrenaline. It'll just be another day in the life. I can't wait to find out more about this vehicle. Uh, maybe we should talk about it more next week or the, or the following week. Um, Mainly because I want to hear what else this car, this truck can do. Because uh, one of the the complaints and criticisms that we have on other off road trucks that might be too focused for a type of off roading, be it rock rock crawling, desert running, or jumping. In the case of well, you know, that are too. I want to make sure. I want to hear that it's not. That's not all it does. Just a quick answer um, to talk about. You know, 
when we talked about the Raptor, it's so huge. And uh, when, when you have a very large vehicle, it makes it difficult to go off-road because a lot of trails aren't big. And I'm, when I say they're not big, I mean they're not wide to begin with. But apart from that, they have very narrow turns. They, either you have to pass between two rocks or a tree and a rock or a couple of trees, or there's a hairpin corner that goes down a hill. And you really need a short wheelbase to be able to do that. And mm-hmm. the Colorado is not the shortest wheelbase in the world, but it's significantly shorter than a Raptor and it's significantly narrower than a Raptor. So compared to any full-size truck, the ZR2 is, it's not a Wrangler, but it's in between a Wrangler and a full-size pickup. And that's a good place to be. All right, Ben, let's tease uh, the listeners with a little bit of information from what we're doing next week. Um, Next week, I'm going to be taking a bunch of flights and drives to various hotspots throughout Canada as part of a way to celebrate Canada's 150th uh, anniversary. Uh, I'll be doing this with Mercedes-Benz and a number of gorgeous cabriolets and maybe some smart cars as well. Cabriolet is Canadian for roadster, (laughs) which is another way to call it a convertible, I suppose. And uh, next week, I will be traveling to Austria to attend the Wuthersee GTI Festival, which is what and I'll get to see what happens when you take a whole bunch of Volkswagen enthusiasts, place them in a small area beside a lake, and then shake it vigorously with exhaust fumes and GTIs revving their engines. So it'll be, it'll be or I think, a fascinating experience. We're going to be driving from Munich to the event in uh, GTIs, Golf R's, and GT, GTDs, I believe. Wicked. Yeah, some t- it's GT everything, and it's, it's going to be a good time, and I'm sure I'm going to have a lot of stories. I'm going to have to ask you to do one thing for me, and that is ask the Volkswagen owners if their Volkswagen is a sex symbol, Ben. <laughs> Can you please do that for me? I'll try, but I don't know if I'm going to break out my German. My, the German for sex symbol is incredibly co- It's like an 18-syllable word. Just concatenated together. Um, So that's us saying goodbye. If you want to hear more of our podcast, you can find us online at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. That will take you straight to our SoundCloud page where you can listen to previous episodes and subscribe. And of course, if you want to do this uh, through an app, which everyone loves to do, there's an app for that. You can find us on Google Play Music on the podcast section of that store. And you can find us on iTunes as well. Under Automotive Now. (laughs) (laughs) Finally! Um, Additionally, you can find us on Facebook. Just search for Unnamed Automotive Podcast. And uh, you'll find both me and Ben raving and ranting and showing you all the photos of our latest adventures. And if you want to reach out to us more directly, you can do that on Twitter. Uh, Sammy's handle is at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And mine is at Hunting Benjamin. And I just want to say, if you're listening to us today for the first time from ERN Live, thank you very much and welcome. Indeed, that was very kind of you, Ben. I've never heard you so sincere before. I'm trying something I'm practicing. <laughs> and I will say that that conclusion of the podcast was just, was, was much smoother than last week's. It was. Which <laughs> is surprising. I just there. It's surprising given how late at night it is and the <laughs> constant threat of Ogopogo looming over both of us. So thank you for listening, everybody. Take care. Goodbye. <laughs>